following program has adult language and potential spoilers. Listener, beware. Welcome to the Marvel Superheroes Podcast. I'm your moderator, Diablo Frank. Here with me is Illegal Machine and Mr. Fixit. Hola. This week we're going to cover Iron Man is Born, which is really more Illegal Machine's territory, am I right? You are right. Mr. Fixit, we spent the origin episode talking about how Mac got interested in Iron Man. Where were you first exposed to the character? The movies. Absolutely the movies. You read the comics. Ah, oh, dude. Mac, what Mac would read, maybe I read some of his stuff. I did not buy Iron Man comics. You read, like, Civil War and stuff before the movies ever came out. Yeah, but, dude, that wasn't an Iron Man exclusive story. That was Iron Man in the universe. I'm talking about, like, just straight Iron Man story. I remember trying to borrow that uh, everyone kept telling me to read Armor Wars or something. And so I remember trying to read that because I, I've never really read anything about his world. Anything that I've read about Iron Man, he was always in the Marvel universe or within a team base, but it was never been just about him. So when I read this first issue, it was kind of interesting because I, I really didn't know that much about him except for the movies. Out of all your time reading a comic books, where's the first place you remember seeing Iron Man in? Um, I would hate to say the EXO Iron Man uh, crossover. I forgot that ever happened. <laughs> that happened? <laughs> yes. I, I think that was the first time I actually read an Iron Man because I can't think of... When did that happen? <laughs> Forgotten that ever happened? I'm, I'm not even sure that it's not a fever dream of yours. I don't even remember that shit. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, let, me br- let me butt in here. There is an Exo Manowar Iron Man video game. Yeah. Oh, I remember the advertisers for that. It was good. I, was it? <laughs> it was okay. Okay, yeah. I, I have no recollection of that, but we'll go with that. <laughs> oh, no. I take that back. I did read the one episode, uh, issue where that character blows his brains out. That is the only comic of Iron Man I've ever written. That was the first one. I believe you actually gave it to me at your shop. You want to- I want to say that's my first one, though. I'll tell you my story. Jimco was the only department store I can think of that ever had a spinner rack. And it seemed like every single time I went to Jimco, they had at least one issue of Iron Man. And it was always one of the Denny O'Neill, Luke McDonald issues. And in particular, I remember the cover where Iron Man's in an alley. Uh, and, and all across the wall is this graffiti that reads, by tomorrow morning, Tony Stark will be sober or dead. And that really impressed me. I thought that was, whoa, this is high stakes here. And I, I would flip through those issues when I'd see them on the Jimco rat. It just seemed too sophisticated for me. Just got to be honest. I just was too young. And I would look at it and it's like, wow, this looks kind of interesting. I'm not going to buy this because I don't think I'm going to get it and put it right back on the, on the rack. There might have been some other factor, but that's the only thing I could think of is I just maybe I couldn't feel comfortable buying it but every time i would see it like in the three pack the one i always saw in the three pack was uh one of the characters i think it was tony stark in the classic armor fighting jim rhodes in the red and gold armor is that am i thinking about that the right cover i think it's a black background uh you may have that backwards in the denny o'neill stuff Rhodey was never in the silver armor so i would always see those covers in the three packs and i'd see the issues at the gym co and i just never made the plunge and i think also it might just be because i'm a luddite i just i don't gravitate toward characters that are big, big into technology and I think that might have been part of it. I just, like, he was a guy who put on a suit of armor, and I just couldn't get into it. 
that Denny O'Neill stuff, it's, it's heralded. I mean, it's but it's it's some pretty dark shit. Like they go that particular issue. I believe that's one where he delivers the homeless woman who he's befriended's baby in the alleyway in a winter storm. Spoiler! I want to read that. I'll be honest with you. Of all the Iron Man comics in existence, the ones that I'm most interested in reading are those O'Neill uh, McDonald issues. Yeah, it's and you know what? McDonald is kind of like the forgotten artist in the uh, Iron Man lore. But I always like this stuff. It's not Bob Layton, but it's good. Look, McDonald never caught a break when it came to runs because he's the guy who followed didn't he follow Layton on Iron Man he may have bookend yeah because I think they came back afterwards and then he had to follow Chuck Patton on Justice League he had to follow Jim Starlin on Dreadstar basically the only thing he ever got first round on was Suicide Squad so everybody's like ooh Luke McDonald he's not the guy I really want on the book he never caught a freaking break it seemed like but that looked like really good stuff it looked very dramatic very intense yeah the problem is that I think I, I don't know how long that was the Obadiah Stane storyline that ended in issue 200 I don't know how long it lasted, but I'm pretty sure that is a really long story arc. There are other... It took so long that that would end up just kind of being backup pages in another story. Like, they started running stories concurrently because it was taking so long to develop the overall story. So I think to actually trace the full thing from start to finish, a fairly decent you know, run of issues. It's, it's not a 10-issue miniseries. Like, it, it's a pretty large chunk. So, Mr. Fix-It, no point prior to the, really the movies, did you have any interest in Iron Man? No, like I said, I, re- I read the EXO Iron Man crossover because I was a big EXO fan but uh, that was about it. For some reason, all of a sudden, I just had this mental image of Andy Smith, the guy who was kind of Bart Sears's understudy or whatever. Yeah, that sounds familiar, yes. Yeah, that I just... that just flashed my brain. So maybe that actually was a comic book. Okay, I believe you now. I don't think you're making it up anymore. Gee, thanks for your vote of confidence. <laughs> Me and my fever dreams. Uh... <laughs> So, but you did you become a fan from the movies? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Robert Downey Jr., in my eyes, created Tony Stark. I, like I said, I've never read any comic, and I still haven't really sat down and read an Iron Man comic. I'm assuming that's pretty close to what he's like in the books. Am I right, Machine? Um, I, I think I think it's pretty close. They, they, I think, well, I mean, they take all the best parts of Tony Stark, and they put him in the movie. So I, I think if you went back and you read several stretches, you wouldn't be like, who's this guy? He's not Robert Downey Jr. I, I think that there are lots of parallels between the two characters. There, there have been some stretches where where he doesn't act like that. Uh, would you I, recommend like the Armored Wars or anything like that? Yeah, man, the Armored Wars is, is cool stuff. Again, it's it's very techie. I mean, obviously, the whole basis of it is everybody stealing his technology and him coming and to take it back. So he's kind of got this vendetta from all these people who have knocked off his stuff. Not necessarily knocked it off. I mean, like, stolen. That's sort of the whole yeah. thing. Discovered that a lot of this stuff that's out there is his. So he goes on the offensive. So instead of letting all the villains come to him, he starts going after them and taking it to them to get his stuff back. It's good stuff, man. It's it's fun stuff. I'll, I'll recommend some stuff for you later. Cool. When, uh, when you mentioned Armor Wars 2, uh, you know, there are certain characters where I didn't follow them, but they would have those house ads that were so striking that it made you want to at least give them a try. With, like, Hawkman he had the Shadow War of Hawkman and there was this great ad where he's got a Cestus glove on and there's just these shadowy images with eyes peering out over him and it's like wow I want to read that book Armor Wars definitely piqued my interest in checking out Iron Man I love that line about it's time for the Avenger to start avenging or something like that Yeah. and that they definitely despite my uh, aversion to Iron Man that made me want to at least check that story arc out yeah, and it, I don't think it's terribly long either. So that that's a good, and, and that's that's collected in trades. So it, 
it, it's a nice run. But like I said, the Denny O'Neill stuff is so I think it's so long. It's kind of tough to recommend that because I'm making you commit to like years worth of comics. Well, I don't want to associate it with something negative, but it, it strikes me that around those same years, the Flash went through the trial of the Flash, which ran for something like two years straight. Nobody thought that that story could carry that. I've never heard anybody say that Denny O'Neill didn't carry Iron Man over that time period. But it's just an extraordinary investment you have to make into reading that much material. If you're talking about a couple or three years worth of story arc, that's a lot to get involved into. I hope I'm speaking correctly, but I, I, at least always to me, because that was the stuff I got into. You know, I was always the Bob Layton guy after giving Luke McDonald some props. But this stuff, it's not as flashy as the Layton stuff. And not to mention the fact that he's going through some nasty times. So that uh, exponentially compounds how dirty the artwork is. I came to read Iron Man and I'm seeing homeless people drawn by not as clean artists as Bob Layton. Hopefully I'm not remembering it, you know, the length of that run incorrectly. But I want to say he did Iron Man four years. And I think that was basically the whole span was the four years was him telling that story. It almost sounds like you're explaining the theory of relativity to where if you're watching a guy who's supposed to be flashy and cool, be drunk and homeless and grim and gritty where he's not supposed to be, it just feels like it was longer than it was. Uh, well, I mean, if it was actually four years, it's a pretty damn long story arc. True. We'll get into some of that stuff later on. Right now, what we're going to look at is the very first Iron Man story ever. Pretty damn cool cover. I think it's awesome. I, li- I like it when covers tell a story unto themselves. I dig how you've got basically three panels of Iron Man coming together and then boom, you've got the iconic image of the original gray bulky armor iron man he lives he walks he conquers yeah i think it's i, I love this color it's class and I, I think it's is that a kirby did kirby do the cover i think kirby did it yeah i don't know though that cross hatching maybe it actually is a heck or maybe kirby laid it out and then heck finished it off yeah i may look that up while we talk okay what do you think about it mr fix it i'm looking at it right now it's a great cover before when i was looking at it i looked at all the other covers that had come out there in that series and no i mean they did some solid work i could see why there was such an appeal for the character right off the bat and this great you know armored character coming at you you can definitely tell they're giving it the hard sell too because it's not just like a nice cover image this one they're telling you who or what is the newest most breathtaking most sensational superhero of all iron man and then they're mentioning too from the talented bullpen where the fantastic four spider-man thor and your other favorite superheroes were born. So they're working hard to associate you with this wave of superhero books that were successful for them. They want you to know this isn't a horror story. This is the new superhero that you've got to check out. I can confirm cover artist Jack Kirby, according to Marvel Comics. Okay, so looking at the splash page, Iron Man is born. That's another iconic image. I seem to recall, I I wish I could remember who first pointed it out to me. There's kind of a vaginal thing going on here. It's Iron Man is born, and he's like coming out of this V-shaped, craggy opening. Then he's vibrating, and he looks like a toy. So what's going on there, Mac? Hey, um, okay, so I just quit this podcast forever. (laughs) You you just ruined an iconic page of my childhood I, I can never I can't I can't get this back this can't come back now so that's uh this is a really a weird spot for me to be in I hate to can we turn to, can we turn to page two uh, you got any thoughts on that one Mr. Fixit it does look like vagina yes it does <laughs> Alright, and, okay. And, <laughs> and he seems to be trembling on his way in or out. Yeah, he's vibrating alright. He's got that little probe thing coming out of his shoulder. No, don't talk about the probe. <laughs> hey, hey, page two, though. Wow, look at that. <laughs> lots, lots of words on page two. Guys, go ch- hey, go check those out. <laughs> Wow, that's uh, Frank. That was really a, a good catch on that one. <laughs> no, I, I I didn't come to that on my own. Somebody has mentioned that in the past. I wish I could remember so I could give them the credit for it. 
I will uh, say, though, and, and you made the knock already, but Don Heck is sort of a weird spot. I like Don Heck. I gotta say, flipping, since I'm looking at it in the uh, the essential Iron Man, so I'm able to kind of flip through a lot of these Tales of Suspense issues in succession. Don Heck knocked it out of the ballpark in this Tales of Suspense 39. They must have, like you said, they must have really said, Don, we gotta, we're gonna hype this one up. We're getting Jack to do the cover. We're flashing our Fantastic Four card on the cover, so you gotta bring it, because I think the interiors on this are really good. Oh, no, they are. Um, I'm looking at it on my tablet, and I mean, the detail is just when you look at like you said the second page top right corner and i mean there's so much detail on just the computers in the background it, it really I, and i came to the same conclusion i i've seen don heck plenty in the past he's one of those guys who you hated to f- do a fill-in issue in the 80s but here his line is so crisp so lean and 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 Packing the detail. What I love, too, is like Tony's face. Even in panels where he's really small relative to everything else in the panel, you always have this very distinctive face. He doesn't look like anybody else. Yeah, they, they do a really good job of making you understand who you're not kind of like, he's not just another faceless guy putting on, you know, scientist, right? Like they set him up as, hey, Tony Stark's going to be the integral to this character as Iron Man is. Um, I think he has a. I'm sorry. He has that whole Steve Jobs sweater thing going. I like that. Well, I was going to say Howard Hughes, but uh, yeah, he definitely looks like an iconic figure in the the science world. Well, I'm just saying he had the turtleneck. It looks like a turtleneck. Yeah, no, he's got a turtleneck under that that, uh, lab coat. Yeah, but that's a suave looking sucker. Yeah, one of the first things I noticed is I think in the very first word balloon, the guy says, boy, that guy Stark must really rate and rate is bolded. Um, you get a 24-hour guard, which I think is hilarious. That the word, I mean, that's just some of your 1960s lingo that kind of milks in. That's why I kind of like, I love reading these old comics whenever you can really pick up on the, uh, the period-centric stuff. You know, everybody kind of knows Iron Man's origin, but it's been updated so many times. It was kind of interesting to me rereading Tales of Suspense 39 after being so long at how much better this original origin is than all of the others. I, I'll say the movie is a close second. You'll notice it, it's because the movie really stuck close to the original 60s origin. They didn't play around at all with it, almost at all, other than obviously nationalities and things like that. It's just, it's a really strong origin. I was looking forward to watching the cartoon of this. I wanted to see the Marvel superheroes origin and i guess it's because of the vietnam references that you know by 66 vietnam was a sore subject where here you could still get some glory out of going to vietnam they never even tried to adapt this though i can i was shocked to find that iron man's origin wasn't in a cartoon for like decades after this so it starts out with um, Tony Stark doing like a government demonstration for his his these transistors that he's developed which allow um, you to take something that's maybe smaller, but give it as much power as it would have as it was in full form. So the government's like, oh, this would be great because we could turn our mortars that are in South Vietnam in, in the war right now, we can make them small enough for our troops to carry through the thick jungle. So, I mean, right off the bat, we're in the 60s. Like, it is, it's Vietnam, right? Well, but that's what's so, so interesting about this is so many of the stories that they were producing in this time period, they're like, we're going to have a computer, but it's going to be more powerful. It's going to be so much bigger. We're going to have a laser, and it's the size of a city. And this is one of the few instances where you've got a sci-fi hook that was true to the actual science. Miniaturization is where it was at, but that's not where they were thinking in the 60s. I'm really surprised at how far ahead the, the story was. And I'm sure it has to do with the needs of a superhero. You need to be able to carry that stuff around with you. But this is far and away ahead of a lot of the sci-fi that period just by thinking small instead of big. So, no, I, I totally agree. So, uh, you know, the, so the next scene is they sort of set up who our main antagonist is going to be in this story, and that's Wong Chu, who's this uh, Vietnamese warlord in the village, South Vietnam. So 
we cut to Tony Stark on the ground in Vietnam with the troops. So, of course, my, my cynicism, my first thought is, okay, what is he doing in Vietnam? Like, why would the rich guy who b- builds all this stuff be in Vietnam? And, and they almost immediately answered that question. He's there so that if anything breaks, since he's the smartest one, he's there to fix it. He's obviously going to be there temporarily. So he's there and he's watching the troops demonstrate this stuff. They get, they get attacked by some insurgents. They use their weapons. They work perfectly. And that's when the, the famous scene where his foot trips over the booby trap tripwire, explosion goes off, uh, assumingly kills everyone around him except for himself. He gets shrapnel lodged in close to his heart. Long choose troops, pick him up and say, hey, he's still alive. He may be valuable for us to us as a as a captor. Let's take him back to Wang Chu and see what's up. That's when they kind of discover who he is and Wong and they kind of show a, a conversation which of course the the linguistics of our Vietnamese brothers out there in uh in the sixties were not represented very well. They were very they spoke like cavemen kind of, which you know it kind of cringeworthy, but you know, it, it was the time, so kind of have to let it go. Don Heck, for the time period, I think is surprisingly sensitive in his illustration of the Asian characters. They're maybe overly accentuated to some degree, but compared to the stuff we were seeing from the 40s and 50s, it's it's pretty decent rendition, so it's a shame that everybody has to talk like Tonto Sosali. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm, all, the, all the Russians spoke like that too. I mean, you know, I remember some of these issues where somebody's in the jungle fighting a guy, and they've got just, the teeth are crazy exaggerated. Everybody's got monster Fu Manchus, it's not that bad in this comic. Uh, but again, the dialect's a little rough. So anyway, back to the origin. So they start talking about how, look, this dude's done for. We, we cannot operate on his uh, on his heart. But let's go ahead and tell him we can and use that as a, as a, hey, man, build this weapon for us while you're our captive. And if you can do it before you die, we'll have the surgeon come in and, and fix you up. So, of course, you're rolling your eyes to that, too. And before I can roll my eyes to that, Tony's word thought balloon is saying, these guys are full of crap. What I'm going to do is I'm going to say, totally go along with it and then use all the equipment they give me to build a weapon and get out of here. So that's already like twice where I already tried to poke a hole in this just from being a cynic, and they got me like immediately. They, they sort of beat me to the punch. From there, the the story is a little bit the same. Dr. Yinsen, who's a, a famous physicist, comes in and helps out. But one thing that I do really like in the, this version of it, which has kind of changed in a few of the other versions I've seen, is that it's very much Tony Stark's idea. He's going to build this suit. It wasn't like Yin Sin came up with the idea and was like, oh, maybe we can build you a suit to keep you alive. Tony was already working on it. And then when Yin Sin comes in, he says, okay, the jig's up. If I have to work, if I can't work alone, I better at least tell him what I'm doing so he can help me out. Yeah, I, I like when you, you know, they try to go ahead and give the guys a little bit more to do in, in some stories. But with Tony, you really kind of want him to get the lion's share of the credit. I'm glad that Jensen helped him out. He obviously did some heroic stuff as the story progressed, but it is great that Iron Man is wholly Tony's. Right. So and what I did notice was was interesting is that he does refer to Vietnamese as terrorists at one point, which I was like, whoa, you know, when, when you see that word nowadays, it sort of means something else than it probably did back then. I thought that that was an interesting parallel that, of course, in the modern day retelling of the origin in Iron Man 1, they're Middle Eastern. So it's it, it, that, 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 that kind of led me to even, man, it really is a close translation in the movie obviously it's not exactly but even from reading the word terrorist back in the 60s i'm still i kind of get that feeling man they the first movie was pretty true to it if you have to do an update that it's illogical it makes sense to change it to the middle east not because you just want to swap out races but because these are the guys that are our scary big bad guys in a foreign land currently 
Right. Okay, so from, from there, Yensen and, and, and Tony Stark start building the armor. They get just about completed. Their captors were going to come in and kind of, before they were ready to present the weapon. Yensen decides, hey, I have to stall, runs out, sacrifices himself so Tony can have a few minutes to power the thing up. And what I also loved was a great touch is even though this is a short story, only about 14 pages long, they do devote a couple panels as to once he gets power and he's up in the scoot, he falls over a couple times as he's trying to teach himself how to work it, which is, again, they, they got me again, because he's never, ever operated an animatronic suit before, but he's supposed to just boot this sucker up and start ninja-kicking guys. Like, that's another one of those just dumb things in comics, but this was great. He stood up, and he fell down. He even made a comment that he was walking like a toddler, or um, I can't remember the exact phrase he used. I'm like a baby learning to walk. Right, which I thought was great, because he, he's like a baby learning to walk. He's born again, right? Well, I, and I love that sequence because, like you said, it's a virtual expectations, because you you know that Yensen is off getting killed and Iron Man is in this invulnerable suit that just isn't there yet so he's just lying there completely helpless listening to his friend get gunned down and can't do a thing about it and then like you said usually the hero will rise up triumphantly and start smashing a wall and stuff and here it's like no man I gotta work this stuff out before I can do anything yeah exactly and then that's when the story and it, there was already a little bit of revengishness to it towards his captors but that was more sort of like he hated the communist side of it but I love the thought balloon after he sort of kind of gets up he does like a jumping jack after he sort of gets the hold of it. And he says, Kill the professor, a man who never harmed anyone in his life, murdering swine. They'll pay for it. I swear it. Iron Man swears it. Freaking awesome, dude. That is so awesome. From there, he pulls out like a trench coat and a hat. I don't know where he gets it from. But he uses that to kind of sneak around through the campus. Marvel had an incredible amount of belief in the trench coat and the hat as being the perfect disguise for people. Yeah, it, it works pretty well in Comicton. Nobody will ever suspect the guy in a full trench coat and hat hiding his face. One thing about the sequence, too, I, I just wanted to point out is that I'm so used to not being able to see Iron Man's eyes, him having a largely featureless face. But it's really humanizing to actually see his eyes past that mask. Get a greater sense of his emotions. Yeah, and he's got that kind of squint going. I, I, I just... I love that panel. That panel jumped out. I was like, man, how did I forget about that panel before? That's a terrific panel. It doesn't hurt, too, that Tony Stark is a sex bomb in parts of this story, where he's running around in the black outfit, looking like Johnny Castle in Dirty Dancing, just like solid black. Man, he worked that shit. <laughs> that guy was a pimp. I should say, so after Yinsen stalled and Iron Man got booted up, they didn't barge in on him and he just beat them up, right? So what he'd done is he actually attached some suction cups to his hands and he used some thrusters that they built into the boots to kind of propel himself onto the roof and kind of Spider-Man to the roof while the guys came in and were like, oh my God, he's gone, and they leap. And that's when he, so he doesn't just come in and start whipping up on him. So that's when he sneaks out, confronts Wong Chu, beats him down, uses what I guess would be the precursor to the repulsor ray where he turns his... He reverses the magnetism on these guys' guns, so when they, they're trying to shoot at him and everything reverses away, they run off. Wong Chu hides, tries to tell all of his troops to go after and kill him with the speaker, and then Iron Man hacks the speaker and basically tells them they all need to... Fear the Iron Man. Fear Iron Man. Everyone leave. Then he goes, he barges in, tries to confront Wong Chu. Wong Chu picks up a filing cabinet filled with rocks, throws it on him, which sort of incapacitates him, and Wong Chu says, okay, cool, dude. That was the single most contrived thing in the entire story, is that he's got a rock drawer to throw at the guy. Look, man, like, I've never been to Vietnam, so I don't know. <laughs> Wang Chu says, that, okay, fine, you know, I'm going to go murder all of my captives now. Peace out. So he runs out, and he gets ready to do that. So Iron Man uses most of the, what's left of his strength, the power in the suit, to get the file cabinet of rocks off of him, chases after him. And as Wang Chu's running by an ammunition stick, he uses the self-lubricating oil in the armor, sprays it towards the depot, sets it on fire, blows the ammo depot up, killing Wang Chu. 
and that's sort of how the story ends. I like, too, how he had the, the little buzzsaw in his index finger that he managed to cut down one of the doors with. Again, the miniaturization. This guy was so far in advance of everybody else in his time. Yeah, and he, and he they even called it uh, compressed air thrusters, I think is what they um, what they called his little jet boots, but he used it to, uh, to suction cup to the roof. You could see all the little the, the nuggets there that were put in, because uh, gadgets ended up kind of... It's not a huge thing with Iron Man, but he does have his, his little gadgets... And then, which of course evolved into specialized suits. But it was, it's just cool to see it here, just from jump. He had he, he was already you know the little mini saws, the suction cups, yeah, the little flamethrower, the repulsor ray, reverse magnetic polarity, stuff like that. I mean, you, you just get everything in this little fourteen pages. I like too how they got in the I'm low on power. I'm going to have to do this uh, hail mary pass, which is so, seems like an Iron Man staple now too. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that one pops up a lot. But anyway, I, after rereading it, I thought it was just a perfectly strong origin from art to story. Obviously, I, I have a bias. Going back, I didn't think it was going to be, you never meet your heroes, right? So I hadn't read the story in so long. I was kind of set up to be disappointed and have it be a little bit hokey. I didn't really think it was terribly hokey for a 1960, what was it, 63? I was expecting this story to be rough, and I was pleasantly surprised at how smooth and how entertaining it was. And, it, and it's quick. It's quick, but it's got, it's got words. It's not quick for lack of for dialogue. Oh, it's definitely got more story in it than an arc would these days. But especially after reading that Submariner story, the, the pace of this one is just on a different level from that story. So I think there's logical progression and a sense that somebody thought what they were going to do from page to page. You know, like maybe they actually had the whole story in mind and then wrote it down. All right, fix it. What'd you think, man? I actually enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. I uh, love the artwork. The origins was, I would say, definitely strong, and I could see definitely the influence in the movie, the movie being influenced by this origin. Um, but he has a really good origin. I really like his origins, showing that even he would kill right off the bat. Yeah, that's true. He did. He, he didn't hesitate. He had to take that dude out. And yeah, boy, so- did he. For some reason, I can't even tell you why I did it, but I randomly bought an issue of Iron Man off the newsstand in the early 90s. I believe it was during the run of John Byrne and Paul Ryan, and I think they retconned it so that he didn't die, and he was actually still active, and Iron Man had to fight him again. Yeah, I think I, I, that sounds familiar. I'm sure that happened. There have also been iterations that he was working for the Mandarin the whole time. You know, they, they always try and kind of retcon. Which is a shame, because one of the things that's great is that sometimes, well, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit, but it's sometimes you just need a thug. Sometimes you need to tell the hero's story, and you just need a generic guy for him to fight, and you don't need to bring all this mythology into it to muddy things up. Yeah, you don't have to tie everything together. Which uh, Didn't they do that with uh, Spider-Man, the, the thief that ends up killing Uncle Ben and Spider-Man? Didn't he end up being something else at some point? Yeah, I think they've done that in the past. It's terrible. It's it's just overcomplicates it. Just keep it, keep it simple, stupid. I just think if you've seen Iron Man 1 and you liked the origin, yeah, it's pretty close. Even down to the flamethrowers, because he used the flamethrower to blow up the ammunition depot. I mean, it's it's really close. But I'm not trying to ham it up. I was legitimately surprised at how much better this origin was than I remember it being. I was a little, I was a little worried. I wanted to look at at least one form of Iron Man's origin in animation. Since they didn't have it on the Marvel Superhero show, I forgot all about the movie they made a few years ago that was directed video and jumped to the 1994 animated series, the Iron Man animated series that was part of the Marvel Adventure Hour or Marvel Action Hour or something like that. And it was episodes 11 and 12 of the first season. Not necessarily the most viewer-friendly to start out with because I didn't know what the status quo was. I don't think I've ever seen an episode of the Iron Man show before. Did you watch that? Yeah, man, I used to... It would come on early. I would do whatever I could to wake up and watch it. It was that and the Fantastic Four cartoon were back to back. How did you feel about the cartoon when you watched it back then? Okay, so here's the dichotomy with that cartoon. It sucked. 
But as a kid, I really liked it. And it had the best toys ever. They are still awesome toys that came out of that show. I remember seeing those toys when you had those. I would check them out. They were pretty cool. Oh, they were awesome. So you, all of them was just like the regular base suit. And some of them had the helmet you could remove. But on top of that, they came with like shinier plastic, like that refractive chrome looking plastic. Oh, they're like the vacuum chroming thingy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, would, it had like the little holes in the shoulders and on the chest so that you could even armor him up more to actually give it like the shiny metal look. Dude, just fantastic toys. And then we got like a Fin Fang Foom toy out of that also, which makes it automatically the greatest toy line of all time because we have a giant super Kirby-esque Fin Fang Foom. I just uh, love those toys. So Now, was he big in the cartoon? Because the episode that we watched, he was not. Um. Yeah, he was big. Did he sh- Did he shrink? No, I think he was pretty big, man. There was a scene in the cartoon where he's like slightly taller than the Mandarin and Modok. What? No. I think he was pretty big. I think he was supposed to be big. The show's bad, so I'm not saying they couldn't. They didn't screw up size every now and then, but I'm pretty sure he was big in that. I honestly, man, watching. We're about to get to the cartoon in a second. I skipped the actual plot of the episode to just watch the origin. Okay, so you didn't watch the ex- extra stuff then. I tried not to because it got tough. Well, that might not be a bad idea anyway because I'm going to have a lot of questions about that show when we come back to it, and there's a lot of stuff I didn't fully understand. We'll, we'll try to just stick with the origin sequence then, which would probably be for the best anyway. But what what happens in the cartoon is that Iron Man is going to go into a volcano for some reason, and his buddies back at base, which the main guy seemed to be Jim Rhodes, but also, I, was that Pepper Potts or Spider-Woman? Was Pepper Potts on the cartoon? Uh, no, that was Spider-Woman. Yeah, they were, they're like back at base saying, hey, Tony, why don't you hold off for a second? Let us come and help you with that. And he's like, no, I got to go ahead and get this done. So he goes into the volcano. Meanwhile, the Mandarin and MODOK are watching from a computer monitor. And they're like, hey, this is a perfect time to strike an Iron Man. So they send out a recording to make it appear like Iron Man's okay. But they attack him with this tentacle robot thing, which if this were hentai, would have ended up a whole different way than it turned out in the cartoon. <laughs> but instead, Iron Man just beats the tentacle robot. But it damages his armor. So he's got to hide inside this glacial thing from the the four forces of Mandarin trying to track him down for like six hours while his armor fixes itself. And somehow, to keep his mind and his body warm under the circumstances, his helmet has to project memories of his past into Tony's mind, which he's fighting with. And that's how we end up having this excuse for having an origin sequence. A two-episode origin sequence. Well, because they had all this extra stuff, I wish they'd just done the one episode. It was unnecessary. I know. So ridiculous. I do have to point out, too, that at one point, Mandarin calls Fin Fang Foom a reptilian jackass, which I didn't think you could do in a cartoon even in 94. Really? I, I, like I said, I skip a lot of that stuff because it's terrible, but just to tell you how terrible that cartoon, not terrible, but how bizarre that cartoon was, I have two words, force works. <laughs> no kidding. Blast for the past. If you understand that, you're going to be like, what? And if you don't understand it, then your puzzlement is correct. It was a really strange cartoon. Yeah, considering that we're trying to focus on the origin, I'm not even going to bring up the force works stuff. That's a whole can of worms that we don't need to open right now. Um, so the flashbacks starts out with... I assume he's Howard. I don't know if they actually name him, but it's... Called him... I want to say they said Walter? I'm not sure. They they, they definitely got the names... Because uh, I know that they called Maria Stark Martha. And then she had, like, close-cropped, I think, red or brown hair, which doesn't jive with my recollections. I think it changed throughout the course of the episodes. So I don't... And isn't Martha... Martha's Batman's mom. So why are they even trying to create that kind of confusion? I don't know. Like, uh, anytime I kind of heard something like that, I would debate backing up to watch it again, and then I would decide not to. Yeah, let's not do that. And then Howard... We're going to say he's Howard Stark. Howard Stark even though he's already a rich weapons manufacturer, is mowing his own lawn with an old-timey bladed lawnmower. I don't understand why that was happening. Didn't make sense. Even my wife laughed like, 
Is he mowing his own lawn? I was like, yeah, he's mowing his own lawn. I guess it's just to show Howard Stark's work ethic. And then Tony rides up on a motorcycle and is like, hey, Dad, I was just doing this other thing. And Dad's like, you were supposed to do this thing. He's like, oh, Dad, no problems. We'll do it. That's all going to be good. So we were establishing that Tony's kind of irresponsible. And then I guess Tony gets a little bit older, and he's supposed to be helping his dad secure a contract with some defense drones. Uh, Tony's saying, hey, you know, I'm not really into war. And he's telling this to a general, which is probably not the way to get on the good side of a guy who's going to give you a contract. And the general's like, I've been to three wars, and I hate them too. And uh, unfortunately, though, the drone doesn't work well because Tony didn't have the right equipment on the drone that Howard wanted on it. But Tony thought he had a workaround that would make it better, but it failed. And Tony just sort of shrugs when they lose that contract to Justin Hammer. Okay, so from there, it goes to, let's just fast forward to Justin Hammer sabotages the plant that Howard Stark is working in. He gets injured. And and it's a robot that attacks him, right? He goes to the hospital? Yeah, it was the, uh, like, assembly line robots go haywire um, and they decided that's uh, Justin Hammer sabotaged the assembly line robots and they went after Howard Stark he goes to the hospital do they ever say does he die there they don't he does die because then because they had made a point of mentioning and these are the exact words that Tony had pursued a mindless search for pleasure which I love that turn of a phrase in a children's cartoon. Also, in some of these flashbacks, they, they spend a lot of time focusing directly on the bikini butt of the chicks that he's hanging out with. And, and it's like, it's there for like, I don't know, five seconds, and then they bother to pan over to Tony. Apparently, Tony didn't feel like he could compete with his dad, so he was going off and having the pleasure drone. Then dad dies, and then Tony steps up and becomes what Howard Stark always wanted him to be in the first place. Right. So uh, throughout this whole time, Hammer keeps trying to mess with the Starks, Sends in a goon. A goon shoots Stark, kidnaps him, takes him to the Mandarin, and now the whole setup is at the Mandarin. And this goes back to what I said, talking about the origin story and tells Spence 39. The Mandarin says, I want you, Tony Stark, to build me a suit of armor. Invincible armor to conquer the world, if I recall correctly. Right. So it's already not Iron Man's idea. Well, it's it's Justin Hammer putting a hit out on Iron Man, or Tony Stark, I should say. And wasn't it like a name brand villain that shot him to, or was it just a goon? He kind of popped in um, and then popped out. So I, I, I wrote goon in a quick... Why would you shoot the scientist that you need to build the invincible armor, like with an Uzi is what it looked like? When you you know you're kind of gonna need him later. Why don't you just tase him, bro? Yeah, just tase him, bro. I I don't. Yeah, again, th- this thing is already so far off the rails. And and I was sitting there telling my wife, I'm like, I don't understand why they don't just like do it simple. The original and, and reading it again makes it my head hurt even more about this because it's already so good. Why did you have to overcomplicate the hell out of this story? And another thing that got me was that they made a point of mentioning in the cartoon that it was a spinal injury that time. And I guess it's because contemporaneous to that, there was a story arc where Tony had gotten like a technovirus or something. And what he like almost paralyzed. I guess they were trying to tie into that that was... Is that what they were trying to do, you think? That was the Kaminsky, the Kaminsky stuff was when he had that virus. So that was, that was around that same time, right? 94? Yeah, so I guess they just felt the need to make it a spinal injury, even though he's walking around just fine. And no, so <laughs> then we get to it gets even weirder because they they drop this sarcophagus off in the lab that he's working in, and he opens it, and Yinsen in a lion costume jumps out and does karate moves. Yeah, well, they needed a break for the two parter, so they ended the, the the first part with Yinsen in the lion god costume. It's like jumping out at him, and they pick up from there, and he's like, oh, I'm actually a doddering old man. I don't know why the heck they did that. Mandarin's got a funky sense of humor. Like, really? That's your explanation? That's some weak stuff there. 
super bizarre. And I, I guess they, he said when he was kidnapped, he was doing theater for for his grandkids. Super bizarre. Just yeah, it, it, isn't he like Wellington Jensen? These are not two words that go together. Yes, and, yeah, his first name was Wellington, and I was like, what? What are you talking about, Wellington? Anyway, it's so bizarre that the show goes out of its way to feature these Asianic. Oriental qualities, the dragons, Mandarin with the Fu Manchu mustache, Jensen's in there and some sort of pseudo-kabuki thing going on there, and yet they take everything that's specific to Asia out. Jensen is Wellington in Jensen. They made sure that the Mandarin was green. Kind of reminding me of what they did with Ming in Defenders of the Earth, uh, Ming the Merciless. And then I guess Fin Fang, I guess they're not in China anymore, even though you've got the, all these dragons running around. I don't know what the hell their thought process was. So Yinsen and Tony Stark start building this armor, and which is super annoying. They're literally building the modern armor. Like, they're not building an old prototype. They're building exactly what he's wearing in the cartoon, which is just, again, stupid. Well, and it's also like, it's it looks like cloth, and apparently it like has to have this neuromimetic connection to Tony before it'll harden up. Before that, it's flaccid. There's a whole weird thing going on there. With And I wrote that down. Hammer says, what is this limp, flaccid abomination? <laughs> and he throws it on the table. Uh, and I laughed out loud, really loud at that. But anyway, it, it, it's horrible that I, I realize that he's got all of the Mandarin's resources in front of him, but giving him like the armor that he's using on the show, he has no place to go from there. There's no development. He just makes the armor, and they have to have this Stupid thing, too, where Jensen creates, like, a mannequin of Tony that's supposed to, I guess, fool somebody, but it's made out of straw with, like, a rubber Tony mask. And I guess the intent was to keep Tony's secret identity a secret. So when Jensen is killed by the Mandarin's sparkle jazz hands... Tony grabs the straw mannequin and flies out because I guess that was supposed to trick the Mandarin into believing that there were two guys. Okay, see... I missed that, and I rewound it, and I watched it again, and I'm like, why did he grab the dummy and fly off with it? So that makes sense. So now he doesn't... No, it doesn't, but it makes less nonsense than what you were dealing with before. Yeah. It's just so dumb. It's <laughs> just horrible, horrible retelling of that. Of such a good, easy origin. And I don't even I don't even mind you having to mix Mandarin in with it, because he's the the lead villain in the cartoon. Weird shuffling, just all, I, I don't know. I don't know what it was in the 90s, but they felt the need that they always had to take the arch nemesis and insert them into the origin. I guess they're looking at, like, economy of storytelling, which makes sense when you're trying to adapt to a film, but it's really unnecessary in an ongoing television series. You can do two separate stories there. You'd think you'd want to. Yeah, I, it, it was just... So anyway, it was really bad. Do not go watch it. Well, the the one good part, though, is there's a sequence where Mandarin's underlings, which is apparently Iron Man's entire rogues gallery for the most part, are searching for him. And at one point, they find these monks in this undisclosed location. And Greg Gargoyle, like, stone punches the monks. The monks are karate, like, karate chopping monks. And Greg Gargoyle would punch them and turn them into statues with each punch. That was actually pretty cool. But But if you want to subject yourself to this... Uh, legally, I believe that Amazon, I mean, Amazon Instant has it available for $2 per episode, so you'd have to spend $4 on the episode. I'm not going to say that there's a free YouTube embed somewhere on the blog. I didn't upload that video, you know, but if you take a peek, you might see something underneath our player, so.
The Marvel Superheroes Podcast is in no way affiliated or endorsed by Marvel Entertainment. All characters mentioned and audio clips employed are believed covered under fair use, but remain copyright the respective copyright holders. But of course, the views expressed are wholly owned by the people who spoke them. No infringement is intended. Welcome to the Marvel Superheroes podcast. Um, uh, uh, fuck ass. Hold on. <laughs> That's a new one. Uh, no, actually, I've been doing that one for years, dude. I just don't always say it around anybody. That's uh, I'm gonna have to add that to my lexicon there. Shit, heel and fuck ass are two that I say to myself a lot, but I don't always have anybody around when I do it. There's a good reason why. 